Welcome to the show. Thank you for listening. I hope I'm not a problem. Man, why do you always come and kill the vibe with those things? I just feel like maybe you can solve them. Can you solve them? I just Gentlemen, welcome back to the Put the Stress Down podcast. I am your host, Moogstar One, and it is such a pleasure to be back here with you all today. After a brief hiatus, we are back with all new guests and all new episodes, and we look forward to continuing to bring you stories of hope and inspiration and to continue to do our best to break the stigma in a way that no one has, and we thank you for tuning in. I am extremely honored tonight to have... The guest on the show is someone I have admired and followed closely for decades now. He is the owner and operator of Asian Man Records and has been so since 1996. And just last week, he released his latest project with the Bruce Lee Band, One Step Forward, Two Steps Back. And it is an absolute banger of an album, as the kids say. And so I wanted to have him on to share a little bit more about that album, as well as to get into some mental health topics and and things that we all kind of seem to be going through at the moment. So without further ado, you can follow him on Twitter at Mike Park Music and at Asian Man Records. And of course, get access to much, much more at www.asianmanrecords.com. Ladies and gentlemen, please help me welcome musician and activist Mike Park to the show. Hey, thanks for having me. Of course, of course. Thank you so much for coming on. Like I said before we got started, I really do appreciate you coming on. It's an honor and a pleasure to have you here. I've been a huge fan for many years, and I know you have a ton on your plate. So for you to take the time to sit and chat for a bit, it really does mean the world. So I just want to say thank you before we go any further. Oh, I appreciate it. No, I'm honored to be here. Thank you so much. Awesome. Thank you. So as I said earlier, the Bruce Lee Band just released a new album last week, which really is, and I'm not here to blow smoke, it's one of the best albums I've heard in a long time. And I definitely want to get into that and talk about some of the tracks. But before we do that, let's just go back a little bit and give the listeners some background on you, on your story, and kind of how it all came to be. So uh, just what was childhood like for you? Where were you born and raised? And, and what was that kind of like up, up to this point? Sure. I was born in Seoul. Um, and came over to the United States just after a few months. I was a baby and have no memory of Korea. <laughs> uh, I grew up in Northern California uh, in the San Jose area, which I, I've been here my entire life. I'm still in the South Bay. And uh, it was very, so it was like early 70s, um, immigrant parents, um, broken English. It was, it was a, I'm trying to like narrow it down, like what my life was like as a kid. It's very uh, a lot of stereotypical things you would think of an Asian family, like a very strict upbringing. Okay. Um, very, very much like I played piano. I was forced to play piano. Right, I right. Uh, I was expected to be yeah. I was expected to be a doctor or a lawyer or engineer. Um, I was uh, expected to go to an Ivy school or a, a Stanford 
Ivy School of the West, uh, either Stanford or Cal. Um, so all the stereotypes you would think of are actually true in my case. Uh, very strict upbringing, a very um, uh, strong Christian upbringing, too. Um, my father's side of the family from Korea, his his parents um, and gr- actually great-grandparents were some of the first missionaries in Korea. So uh grew up going to a Korean church when I was little. So that's for those who <laughs> grew up going to Korean church, if they can uh, visualize that experience, that's what I experienced. Okay, okay, I'm sure it was something else. <laughs> yeah, my, so, my, my my father was a pastor, so you know we were Pentecostal Christians, and we were in church about I want to say six six days uh, uh, out of the week we were at church. Wow, that's a lot. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was it was church on Sundays, and then prayer on Mondays, Bible study on Tuesday, church on Wednesday. You know, prayer on Thursday. It was just like that. I think Saturday, well, even Saturday morning, we had prayer in the morning. So it, it was constant, man. It was, you know, it was very much like that. Yeah, it, it, like in the Korean community, from what I experienced growing up, it was very part of the social aspect was church. So it was like Friday was um, Bible study, but it was more like. Well, at least for the adults, they would like sing and then do some Bible study. But it was just like a time for all the kids. We just play. <laughs> right, so it was right. a lot of a lot of memories of just playing with other kids during that that time. Right, and so I, I wanted to have you on because you often you drop little nuggets here and there on mental health when you're doing you know interviews and the music gets powerful stuff episodes and and whatnot. So when it came to mental health growing up and hearing what you're saying about, you know, the stereotypical, I'm sure it was very, you know, the men tend to be very stoic and kind of, they keep things close to the chest. And so when it came to mental health, was that something that was discussed in your household or was the focus no. of your upbringing? Because I know for, for myself in a Hispanic household, it was mainly centered on providing, right? And, and in Hispanic culture, yeah. especially in men, there's not a huge mm-hmm. focus on, on sharing your feelings or things you may be going through. So, so what was that like for you? Yeah, it was, it was my dad's work ethic was insane. He was working two jobs. He worked the swing shift at the San Jose hospital and he was doing, uh, worked at a real estate firm during the day. So he was, so my experience was just him working, right. providing my mom also worked. She was a hairdresser. And so it was a lot of, you know, I think in their mind was they're just trying to provide for us and make the, give us the best life we could have. But there wasn't a lot of like, deep conversations, especially with my dad. It was more with my mom, but she was very strict too and very fearful. We were very fearful when I say we, me, my sister of pissing her off. Right. So we grew up in that constant fear. And even today she's 85. I still fear her. (laughs) It's not the healthiest of relationships. I I get it. I get it. Yeah. So, I mean, I'm still experiencing it. Uh, present day, but, um, you know, I know she loves me. It's just, uh, it's not the most ideal situation. I think for anybody to grow up with that kind of fear or that kind of, uh, um, you know, a lot of lies too. I, I hold a lot of stuff back. I don't tell her everything cause I try to protect her from what I think will, um, disturb her. 
it's probably not the smartest thing to do on my end, but I've, I'm so deep in it. That's just the way I, I react right. in, um, in that setting. So, yeah, just, uh, it, it wasn't a healthy relationship in terms of, of having that feeling where I could just say anything without any repercussions of, of, um, scoldings or even like a physical spanking, uh, especially early on, but, uh, it just kind of, uh, continued even to this day. Yeah. Right. And I think, you know, that comes from, from what they were taught, right. And the way they were kind of raised and, and as an adult now myself with children, I am able to kind of look back at those, at those times and, and kind of see it for what it was. But during that time as a child, I didn't understand that. I didn't understand the abrasiveness. I didn't understand the coldness at times. Right. And, and that's, again, that's not, not their fault. That's just, that's all that they knew because that's what they had received. And, and I just exactly. think it's up to us to break that cycle, you know, to be open, to have these conversations. And that's why I do commend you for constantly mentioning the things that you're going through, the, the times that your mental health is not in the greatest shape because without us saying these things, without us having these conversations, how are things ever going to change? Yeah, I'm, and I'm very open with my mental health issues. I also have two young teenagers, and you know that's a whole different trip in itself. But um, you know, trying to learn from the mistakes I went through as a kid and trying to do the best, it's, it's not easy. But uh, definitely have taken a completely different approach from what my the way my parents had raised me. Right. A hundred percent. And I think, you know, it's like I said, as a young child, you, you're kind of grasping for answers and ways to kind of feel better when, when things aren't, aren't going so great. And so I think for many of us, music was the answer. Right. And you find that band or, or something that you can connect to who's who's speaking your language and you're like, right on, man, this is it. So, you know, for me, it was Green Day. Like once I discovered Green Day, it was all over from there. Like it, it, they changed my life. And I mean that from that point on, it was nothing but pop punk and ska and emo. And it was just I, I kind of found myself in that. So so when did music come into the picture for you? And, and how quickly did that become a coping mechanism for you? Uh, I would say I really I've always loved music, even as a young kid. But if we're talking like getting into alternative music and punk, it's probably like around 1984 uh, and then my first band was like 1986 um i really gravitated towards the bands that had a message so like the punk bands like right. seven seconds or minor threat especially seven seconds that was a band i related to mostly um in in the early years because the music had a, a message um and then seeing the band fishbone um in 1987 that changed everything for me. That was the band that just like made me want to play music and just blew my mind. I just couldn't believe it. Just having that natural um, high of going to a show. Um, it's un indescribable. And I've never had that feeling since because it's just the first time of seeing them. Actually the first like handful of times is just the best experience. And yeah, that's, that's the band I credit for, making me want to play music uh, and making me want to be, want to be involved in, in that scar scene. 
Right, for sure. And I think there's nothing like it. You know, for, for me, it was, yes, going to shows, it, like going to catch Bucko Nine in Hollywood or, or Voodoo Glow Skulls. I mean, it, it, there's nothing like it. And for, fortunately, where I grew up, there was also a lot of backyard gigs, you know, that I was even fortunate to play at with a couple bands I had on the side here and there. And just that feeling of, like, no matter what's going on, no matter what's going on at home or, or how things may, may be making you feel at the time, for an hour, two hours, whatever it is, you can go and, and get in that circle pit and just be sweaty and filthy and dirty, but you're all feeling that release, you know, and that joy and that pleasure of just screaming at the stage or having the singer jump in with you. And I just think that, you know, there really, for me, there was nothing else like that. Uh, yeah, I, I agree 100%. That's, that's something that really helped me as a young uh, adult and, and teenager uh, to really find myself and to find some validity to what I was doing with myself and uh, just to feel part of something. I felt like being part of that community really helped shape me uh, to become the person I am now. Right. A hundred percent. And I agree as well. It did the same exact thing for me. And, and it really solidified that idea of inclusion for all. Right. Because being a punk, being a ska kid, whatever, People tend to look at you different, a different type of way. And so, you know, you kind of stick together with the outcasts so that when I grew up, other people that were treated as such, I'm able to identify that right away and, and embrace them with open arms and say, hey, you're just like me. There's no difference. Come on over, you know, and, and I really do credit that for turning me into the man that I am. And just like you, I've always been more drawn to the lyrical side of music than anything else. And your lyrics often deal with, you know, politics, racism, equality, and that sort of thing, which I truly respect. So when it started to become kind of clear that music was going to be the path for you, what was it that propelled you to use your art for awareness? Was it something that you had in mind from the start or just something that just kind of came to be? It's just something that kind of came to be. I just found myself, even though my first real band, which was Skank and Pickle, there's a lot of, it was a democracy amongst the members. So we had multiple songwriters. So we would have really silly songs, but then the songs that I was writing and it wasn't intentional. It just, what was coming out of my mind was, uh, dealing with my own, uh, experiences with racism or at the time, whatever was, was relevant at the time, whether it was homelessness or, um, sexual inequality, um, wealth, uh, disparity, uh, those things just were, just ingrained in my brain at a young age. And that seems that seemed to have been what I was um, finding myself writing about the injustices of the world. Mm, right. Yeah. And, and, and again, I think kids all over the world listening to that, that, that feel the same way, but don't really, you know, have that talent to kind of put it in words and express it are able to connect with you from that. And, and they feel that and, and they're able to share that message and it just reaches people and it spreads that idea of inclusion, man. And, and I really love that. And, you know, you shared in, in your music, it's powerful stuff episode with scowl, how they had approached you to sign them and you had passed because at the, it was real heavy and didn't fit with the current demographic, but also because at that time your mental health was all over the place. And that is something that really resonated with me because as an artist myself with the, with a clothing brand and a podcast, I often find myself not doing things or, or committing to things because I know at that time and place, 
I'm not in the right headspace to do it. And I feel like me doing that, can I do it? Sure. But I feel like doing it when I'm not really all in would be a disservice to what I'm trying to create, not only for myself, but to the audience. And of course, to my guests who come on and share very personal things. So is that kind of along the lines of what you were saying to them when they were asking about that? Yeah, 100%. So like, so my story with mental health, really, I, I've always been a high stress uh, person, but I was able to function at a high level. And I kind of always felt like I needed that if I wasn't under that microscope of uh, working all the time, I felt like something was wrong. And so the I'm trying to think the exact day. <laughs> time is so, I feel like it's such a blur these days. Okay, right. the pandemic hit 2020. So December of 2019 is when it hit another level where I was, I didn't know what was going on. Like I couldn't function anymore. Mm. Things that I was normally doing was causing such stress and anxiety. I was to the point where someone had said to me, I'm going to take you to us. I'm going to institute you. You're going to, inst- we're going to institutionalize you. I would have said, let's go. And that's right. how bad it was. I didn't know what was going on. I couldn't function. And I went through, I was just trying to see any therapist I could. Like, like looking for quick fix um, situation. I was like, what can I do? What medicine can I take? And it was a long process. And I'm, it's a process I'm still going through. Right. Um, today, but I was diagnosed with generalized anxiety disorder, um, and am continuing to try to work on myself. But if we're going back to the reason why I didn't work with scowl, it was because I just couldn't take on anything. I didn't want to take on anything and jeopardize their careers. And historically Asian man has been put, I would put out like at least 10 albums a year. I've really scaled that back. I'm still super busy because I'm just reissuing old stuff, but the responsibilities are a lot different than working with a new artist. And I feel uh, a really a sense of stress when I have that uh, responsibility of this young band, nurturing this young band's career. If I don't have the time or the um, mental stability to work with them, I don't want to put them in a situation where it's going to affect their careers. Right. And that's, that's extremely thoughtful, but it's got to also be extremely difficult because, you know, they're amazing Uh, to have that female fronted group in that space, you know, breaking barriers. It's, it's awesome. And I, I'm sure you would have loved to do that, but you you have to listen to the brain, you know, you you have to listen to it because it's a tricky, tricky thing. And I think there's this large misconception that, say, you know, myself as kind of the little guys who just get up and go to work every day and come home and watch TV and watch rinse, repeat are somehow different than Mike Park, who owns a record label and he's friends with all these cool bands and he just lives his dream every day. Like we're somehow different when it comes to these things like depression and anxiety, as if what I'm feeling and what I'm going through aren't anywhere near the things that you deal with. But I think you can attest to the fact that these things like depression, like anxiety, they don't care who you know. They don't care what your zip code is or who your friends are. They come for us all. Oh, yeah. And it, it really was a, an awakening for me because it's something that is very 
prevalent in the music business. The stress that goes along with being an artist, that's why you see a lot of substance abuse in musicians and actors because they need something to help them get over that hump, whatever that is, whatever they're dealing with. And so I would always hear like, I remember in particular, uh, there's this band, Hot Water Music. I, 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 I'm sure you're familiar of with course, Hot Water. Of course. And when uh, when Chris Wallard stepped down from from touring because of his mental health, I never, I felt, obviously I felt really bad, but I never understood like the severity of it until it happened to me. And then I got it. And I reached out and I said, you know, I'm having the same, dealing with the same thing. I'm just to let you know I'm here. And it, it takes, it took me going through it to understand what other people are going through. So I've never, I've never fully understood. I was very compassionate for, towards people who are dealing with these issues, but I never fully understood it until it happened to me. Yeah, right. A hundred percent. And for myself, you know, being a combat vet and having PTSD, like now I understand now I've been diagnosed now, just like you, it's a work in process. I'm working on, on constant recovery. But before I knew, I didn't know, you know, I just knew that something was wrong and and I couldn't put my finger on it. And, And it wasn't until I got help and I saw somebody and I got diagnosed that boom, then not only was I able to, to start working on the problem, I was able to help other people that, that were in my shoes, you know, a year ago before I knew what was going on with me. But until you kind of go through that and, and really kind of face and admit that something's wrong, you cannot really get out of that mud. Exactly. And again, like I said, you know, I'm still dealing with it. It's still something that is, is something I have to deal with on a daily. I still don't feel comfortable this was pre-pandemic when it really kicked my ass. And to be honest, I felt like the pandemic helped me because all the things that I was anxious about, those triggers were gone because I didn't have to go because of my job. I was expected to go to every touring band that came into town. I had to entertain them. I had to be at the show and I just didn't want to be there. So it actually helped me quite a bit, but now after two, was it two years and three months? Like I'm, I still feel like I don't want to go to shows, and that's it's a sad thing because that's what re- really brought me joy once upon a time. Um, so I'm trying to f- figure out like why that joy is gone. <laughs> Something that, I, and I don't even want to perform. I, I still am writing music like crazy. That's bringing me joy, but the idea of performing live. It's like, it's gone. I've lost the desire to do it. And so things have just changed. My priorities have changed. I'm trying to just make sure I stay away from the triggers that will cause me to be anxious. And, and unfortunately it's stuff that I used to love that that I'm, I've cut out for now and I'm hoping one day it'll come back. Right, 100%. And that's another thing that, that really stuck with me in your most recent uh, Music It's Powerful Stuff episode where you interview yourself, which I thought was brilliant. Let me just tell you, it's <laughs> hilarious. It was awesome. And But, you know, right at the intro, you go into your weight and how pre-pandemic you were 40 pounds lighter and your anxiety wasn't nearly as off the charts. And, and it was just a, a couple brief sentences and then you moved on. But that was really what kind of pushed me to ask you to come on because 
we are two years into this thing and whether or not mm -hmm. you want to say it's over or it's past the results and the damage that this pandemic have caused are things that are extremely lasting and there's no switch that we can flip when they say hey everything's back to normal we there's no brain switch where we can go okay hey great now i can just pick up where i left off like there's things happening that we don't know and i did an episode on the pandemic when it first began and like a minute into it i just began to cry just immediately and i think it was because i was going through so much fear and unknown and i didn't realize how it had affected me until that very moment and as much as i considered starting over and cutting that part out or saying you know oh, i'm sorry for that i didn't because i wasn't sorry you know it was natural it was happening and i left it in and I'm glad I did because I needed others to hear that they were not alone in dealing with this crazy unknown thing. And yeah, just like you, I feel like there were there were things that it, I did kind of do better with. But what what has it been like for you as far as, you know, some of the ways it, it affected you more negatively as far? I know you said, you know, you mentioned your passion for touring, but what kind of other things did you find that were affecting you that you just couldn't really figure out? Uh, I mean... I guess not being able to see people is probably the biggest thing. Even I, I am, I consider myself a social person, but you know, more and more I don't, I don't even care if I go out <laughs> to see people, but I, I missed that camaraderie. Uh, luckily like today, Jeff Rosenstock came by Asian man. He's leaving for tour. And they had to stop by to pick up some stuff. So I got to see them as a band. And that was just that brief encounter of these human beings that I love um, going on tour. It was, it was fun for that short amount of time. And so I do, that's, I think that's the thing I missed most is those, those gatherings. Um, those like the Christmas parties. I haven't been to a Christmas party in, <laughs> I guess, three years. Now, three Christmases have gone by since, well, I was dealing with the, before the pandemic, uh, I missed that one because of my own uh, anxiety, but two, because of the pandemic, just thinking like little trivial stuff like that, but it meant a lot. It was fun. I enjoyed like being with friends and uh, even like weddings. I have gone to a couple, but um, I've skipped out on a couple too because I just wasn't ready. Um, right. I feel bad because... You know, those are people that are important to me. I just couldn't, I couldn't do it. Like something inside me, the anxiety was too, too high. I was like, I can't deal. And so that's, and, and that's going to be an ongoing problem for me, I, I believe. And, uh, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know the answer of how to fix it other than uh, one day at a time. Yeah. Just keep, uh, keep uh, my head up and, um, you know, keep taking my meds and talking to my therapist, meditate, everything. I, tr I try to do everything. Um, sit in the sauna, <laughs> every kind of relaxation method out there. Yeah, you have to, you, you know, you have to figure it out because like I said, the brain is, is just, it's like a Rubik's cube, you know, that like that we, there's no direct answer for it. I mean, you just, there's so much that goes on. And like you said, like even for me going to the office and, you know, the task of driving to work and seeing people like 
it sounded great at first and it was great like oh i can wear sweatpants every day and work from home and my commute is just a walk to the desk but i wasn't seeing anybody and not only that yeah. i didn't know if or like there was no cap there was no timer it was just we don't know we don't know and so i'm going man without even knowing my brain had been programmed to see these people to have these little chemical releases when i see the people that i care about and it got to a point where i was like damn i'll even settle for the people i don't like at work for fuck's sake you know what i mean like just yeah, let yeah, me yeah. see somebody just let me be around somebody and and i didn't realize that it was going to affect me like that and you know fortunately for me i'm in a place where when I go through things, I can try my best to to not just go through it, but to kind of identify it and, and try to work on it. But for a lot of the country, they're not at that place. They're not at the place where you're at with, with therapy and medication. They're just pretending that nothing's wrong. And, and I think a lot of it does have to do with this thing that we, that we face and, and the, the machismo and the ego that won't allow people to say something is wrong. I definitely need help. Yeah, and it was weird because when I was having my mental health breakdown, I was telling everyone. Like, I had no qualms about letting the world know. Like, people I barely knew. If I, like, someone at the gym, I would just tell them, they're like, oh, how's it going? I'm like, oh, not so good. Right. <laughs> I'm like, right. I'm having some mental health issues. And they're like, oh, too much information. <laughs> but I, I was strange. Like, where I think my wife was, because I would say even to like neighbors, and she's like, why are you telling everyone? And I was like, guys, I have no shame in this, this stigma of mental health. I was like, for some reason, I just felt like telling everybody. I was like, yeah, I'm dealing with it. Uh, you know, my bands that I played in, I was letting them know. I was like, I can't play. Yeah, but I actually did. I did a couple shows during that, during the time my mind was really crazed. Um, and it was, it was helpful, like playing. But at the same time, I couldn't hang out like the rest of the show, like the other bands. I was like, I got to get out of here. So I wasn't able, I was able to perform, but I wasn't able to do the other stuff that, of the, uh, just the engagement with friends and other musicians. I just needed to get the heck out of Dodge. Right. I feel that a hundred percent. And so, you know, what, what did you turn to like kind of in those moments where, you know, those episodes can be real, man, and your skin's crawling and the the walls are kind of closing in and you're, you're feeling this anxiety and what were you able to kind of tap into to just get you to go out and hammer out some songs and then, you know, just hit the road. What was it that you really just kind of re, you know, held on to, to get you through those moments? God, I don't know. Just friends. I really feel it was like my friends. Um, I would have like someone would drive where I could just, you know, have someone to talk to and someone who was actually, um, had a lot of mental health issues themselves. So was, was able, that was a big thing talking to other people who were dealing with the same thing and, and also finding out how many other people deal with this, the same issues that I do. It was incredible. Like I was really unaware of it. And just the more I talk to people, they're like, oh, yeah, I'm on Lexapro. <laughs> I deal with mental health every day. And I, it made me feel better that I wasn't alone. And I was like, oh, this is great. And I would just talk to people, you know, good friends. And I had no idea that they were dealing with these kind of issues. And it just it humanized it a lot. And just being able to talk to somebody, my goodness, that was probably the best medication. Yeah, a hundred percent. And as you know, we kind of went back to work and went back into the office. 
the normal kind of, you know, walking in the hall and, hey, how you doing? Good, good. All right, have a good day. For me, that really transformed into, hey, how are you doing? Looking into their eyes, seeing they're not doing well and having them go, oh, I'm okay. And I would stop and say, are you? Are you really okay? And before you know it, we're 45 minutes into a deep conversation where they just are unloading everything onto me and saying, you know what, I'm sorry, I'm sure I sound crazy. And I'm able to look back and say, I tell you what, you don't. I know exactly what you're saying, and I'm in that same boat. And like you're saying, that has been the strongest medication that that no money can buy. It's just that ability to, to open up and share with someone and feel that connection that I think a lot of us have lost. And that's funny you say, like, the, the passing of how are you doing? Because in the past, I would always say, oh, yeah, great. But I'm really honest now. I kind of think about it. I'm like, how am I doing? I'm like, if I'm doing good, yeah, I'm doing great. If I'm not doing good, I'll tell them, I'm hey, not so great. And whether they want to keep talking, it's up to them. But I'm, I'm done just saying, oh, I'm, everything is great. It's like if someone asks me, I tell them straight up, like, yeah. It's okay. Could be better. Yeah, hundred percent. Or 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 it's great. Uh, but yeah, that's funny because I, you know, that's something you always ask people, and the answer is always, "Yeah, great. Things are great." Yeah. But I always take it very. It's very serious now when someone asks me how you're doing. The, the response from my end is. I'm going to be completely honest. Yeah, same, same. I'm not the one. Don't ask because I'm going to tell you. Don't ask me unless you really want to know because I'm going to take up your time and I'm going to tell you. But I'm also going to sit and receive and listen to what you have to say and genuinely show that compassion and give you that shoulder and just let you know no matter what, day or night, you got nowhere to turn, you can come here, man. I'm here for you. I'm open. I care for you. And you know, I love you. And so it's really good to hear. And, and I appreciate you willing to share that and share what you have. And I hope that anyone listening right now understands just how not alone they are, you know, and being able to be open and vulnerable and share these things is going to do so much for so many people. So thank you for that. Yeah. And again, it's like that beginning, those first three months of my diagnosis of having this generalized anxiety disorder i was doing everything i was going to classes like anything through kaiser any like support groups like i was looking at any church website if they had like a anxiety uh class i found two churches that had um uh, anxiety uh groups dealing with mental health and it was it totally helped like just just being surrounded with people who could relate again it was just awesome and so i can't recommend that enough for people to just talk to other being able to talk to other people who are dealing with it um at least for me was this really helped quite a bit right and it's the same for me as you know being a vet with ptsd just going to those groups even even just not even getting into it in super depth, just being around other people. You know what I mean? That, that, you know, that you're just in the presence of people that know what you're going through. It's helpful. It's really helpful, but it's hard. It's hard for so many people to take that step. It's hard for so many people to admit that, that they need that help. So I'm right there with you, man. 110%. I encourage anybody listening to go and do that, to, to look for resources because they're out there. 
to help you get better, you know. But in the midst of all this, you did manage to release this new Bruce Lee album. And I mean it when I say, <laughs> this, dude, this album is amazing. It really takes me back to my teenage days of skating over to Blockbuster Music. And if you remember back in the day, was, Tuesdays was the new day for, for music, right? That was the day that the new CDs came out. So we would go to skate, skate there after school and buy the newest CD, whatever it was, and take it home and play it back to front over and over and studying the liner notes and the lyrics and, and just falling into this deep relationship with it. And, and all of that is present on, on this new album. So congrats on that. Oh, thank you so much. I, I'm really happy with it. I'm just, it's just fun to still make art with my friends. And uh, it's been just one of the ingredients that I, that are still in that positive area where I know it makes me feel good without triggering uh, ill effects. So yeah. uh, I'm just, I'm very happy that I'm able to still create music. Yeah, and it's amazing. And so I just want to go over a few of the standout tracks real quick. And the first being what I guess you would consider the lead single is Did You Find the Money Farm? And you got to make this record with Fishbone's Angelo Moore and Scott Two Network's Jeremy Hunter. So tell me what that was like, you know, ha having a legend on the track with that saxophone and just kind of what the record is all about. Yeah, with that, well, Jeremy has played on the last three Bruce Lee records yeah. and is basically an honorary member uh angelo i've known angelo for years and he knows how much he means to me and so he was he was game to do it it's just getting him to do it like he'll he'll say yes a lot <laughs> angelo is such a free spirit like he's just like yeah and then you don't know where he is like where is he <laughs> but i was able to you know he just pulled through he's like Here's the track. I'm like, amazing. Um, and then the next obstacle was like, okay, I'm going to do a music video. And I want you to, we're going to use green screens. I'm going to have someone come. Well, he was going to, we we're trying to figure out like how he can get into it. We're, we're going to have him uh, go to this one place. But that was the tricky part, like getting him to commit to the music video. So I just got it where I said, someone's coming to your house right now he's like okay <laughs> the ambush <laughs> yeah we did it he just did it and he had like a partially torn achilles and he still did it <laughs> he's still like because he was supposed to do a lot of popping and locking in the video he's like i tore my achilles <laughs> and i said oh no what can you do and he's like i'll make something work and what he did he's still great because he's the best <laughs> that's awesome and it's a great track it, it really came out great and another one of my favorites is the one uh, written by Jeff Rosenstock I hate this and not only for the <laughs> lyrical content but also the video which is, is so spot on man like when it rains it fucking pours man and just to, to watch the, you know the events unfold and just continue to watch it go downhill was so relatable so what was it like kind of creating and putting together that quick 90 second blast of just punk rock goodness yeah, so that song wasn't even supposed to be on the record. Like, the drummer had to leave for San Diego. We were recording in San Jose. He had to do a jazz session at, like, a senior citizen home in the morning. <laughs> so it was, like, 8 o'clock. He's like, I got to go. I got to drive six and a half hours to San Diego. And I got to leave. And we're, I was just like, come on. I knew Jeff had the song. I'm a, and we'd never rehearsed it. So... I said, please. And Jeff said, okay, let's do it. And he taught Kevin, the drummer, 
that song in 15 minutes and they just laid it down. They did two takes and we, we just needed that backbone of the drums so we can create the song. And he did it and he was gone. So he had learned that song in 15 minutes, recorded it and was on his way to San Diego. Uh, very quick. Uh, and very fortunate that we got to, to get that track on the record because it was very close to not making it. No, that that's crazy. That's a good story, and it, and it fits right in, man. It really does. It's like I said, it's a quick ninety seconds. You're in, you're out, but man, it, it's a it's a great ninety seconds, you know. So, and uh, the last song that I wanted to, to point out, and my personal favorite on the album, and that's putting up with all my crazy, you know, because as a combat vet with PTSD, like yes, I have a lot to deal with internally and the things I go through. But on the flip side of that is my wife who has unfortunately had to bear witness and been on the receiving ends of these really traumatic things and behaviors and episodes and really has just remained unwavering in her love and support for me. And, and so this song really struck a chord with me. So tell me a little bit about this one and just kind of the meaning behind it for you. Yeah. So it's, it, I mean, it is a love song. It's a, it's a song for my wife and, the women I've dated over the years, I've dated some great women, but it's always been me because there's only so much they can put up with my, in terms of like putting up with my, with all my crazy. It's, they finally like, go, Hey man, I, I love you, but can't deal anymore. And I don't, I never blame them. I was like, Oh yeah, yeah, I, I get it. And for her to still put up with it, it's just, it's remarkable <laughs> to be honest because I'm I'm crazy. Yeah, in a good way. In a yes, good way, I yes, think. Yes. Well, I guess good and could be. A, <laughs> it's it's uh, at least in my mind, I'm good. Others <laughs> would maybe say different, but yeah, she's just a she's a an amazing woman. Just to be able to uh, just be there and always uh, uh, be supportive, and like you said with your wife, it's it's you just kind of sit back and go, wow how lucky I am. And that's, that's basically what the song is about. Yeah. And, and I felt it, man. And I loved it. And, you know, I appreciate you putting it on the record. It, it, it's awesome. You know, top to bottom, it's a great record. And, you know, one last thing I just wanted to mention was the cover of cool places that you did with Augusta Koch from Cayetana, which was one of my absolute favorite groups before they broke up. Like I had a custom t-shirt made for them when they came to play San Diego and Oh, heck yeah. Their album, New Kind of Normal, is nothing short of a perfect art piece, man. And it's so vulnerable and it's such a powerful record. And I know she's now singing for Gladdy. And uh, so what was that like? What was the idea behind it? Because I had seen you mention that, you know, in a year of suckiness, which was 2020, you wanted to bring some smiles. So what kind of put that together and what was it like working together on that? Yeah, so, you know, this is like part of the, the pandemic, yeah. nobody was, I mean, people were sheltering in place. And yeah. so with technology, the, one of the good things about technology is you're able to just, you can record music with people who live 3000 miles away. Yeah. And so I just reached out to Augusta. I said, listen, I want to do this cover. I want you to sing. It, it was a, originally done by Sparks and it was a duet between, um, the lead singer Sparks and Jane Weedland from the Go-Go's. I, I sent her the song, the original. I said, let's do cover this. You sing Jane's part. And she's like, yeah, let's do it. So um, we recorded. I recorded the, the my part and sent it over to her. And she did hers. I said, well, let's make a video. Let's kind of make an homage to the original, um, which is a green screen video in the 80s. I said, well, let's do one too. And 
uh, it really took a gust out of her comfort zone. She told me, she's like, I don't like to dance at all. Like I'm really self-conscious about them. I'll, well, try your best. And, and she tries her best. She doesn't, she never goes ape shit in it. Which <laughs> yeah, I'm hoping she doesn't she go would. full bore, but no, but, uh, she's, she's great. And she's just a really nice person. I, I, I just like nice people. <laughs> so it was, it was fun. It was a fun project for both of us just to, uh, kind of, uh, continue to do fun stuff through music. Yeah. That's amazing, man. And you know, you said you wanted to bring some smiles and, and I can tell you that you did, man, at least for me, you know, I had such a, such a fun time watching that video and the track itself is good too, to listen to. So it's a bonus, you know what I mean? It, it was all around, you know, you're using your art to, to spread joy. And I don't think I, I would be out of line to speak for everybody that says thank you for that and just to let you know how much we appreciate that and especially knowing what what you were dealing with the entire time you know it's just it, it just gives me hope man it gives me hope to humanity for the future that you know that love will conquer all amidst all of this and and so i just want to thank you again for doing this it, this conversation has been an incredible experience for me and I know it will be an equally good experience for the listeners. So before we wrap up, are there any last words uh, maybe of encouragement you want to share to someone listening or, or just anyone you want to shout out? Yeah, I, I think the, the the bottom line is like with mental health, it's, uh, shit is real. Yes. <laughs> it's, 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 no, it's no joke. It's no laughing matter. You know, the, the machismo of people who think it's a bullshit excuse they're wrong. You know, this is, this is so prevalent with so many people who deal with mental health. And I mean, just, you're not alone. Just, I, I just want people to know that. And, you know, I've even opened up my number, my phone number publicly numerous times. It's usually when like a celebrity takes their own life due to their own mental health issues, because I want to be, I want to be able to like, talk to people. Um, and that's, I don't know what I'm trying to say. I just, I just want people to be able to talk to somebody. Uh, I feel like there's, there's too much to live for, um, to let it get to that point where you can't, you can't deal with it anymore that you, that you do end up taking your own life. And, um, I just want people to, to know that, uh, uh, there, there are people who care and, um, you're worth it. Well, amazing, man. Thank you so much. Very well said. We appreciate you taking the time and please feel free to come back anytime. Thank you everyone for tuning in and we will see you next time. Thank you. See you next time. Summertime blues. Anything I do, it seems I just can't get through all these bad moments. Okay, everybody, that's our show. Thank you for listening. We know there are a million podcasts out there, and we thank you for choosing ours. Make sure to go and give the new Bruce Lee Band album a listen. One Step Forward, Two Steps Back, available on Spotify and Apple Music, or you can buy it directly from Mike at www.asianmanrecords.com. For further content and to hear previous episodes, head on over to www.extendedfamilyapparel.com and click the podcast tab. Thank you, and we'll see you soon. And my head are sucking out all of my brains Maybe you'll get it if you felt my pain I hope I'm not